Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, what's up, New York City? This is Amy Wilson. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live on WBAI. We are a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide. New York City DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Once again, my name is Amy Wilson. I'm a worker and organizer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm thrilled to be back on the air at RPM. Workers at America's only major unionized publishing house, HarperCollins, went on strike in early November of last year after their contract expired in April. As their strike approaches day 50 with little response from management, workers are standing strong on the picket line and fighting for higher wages, real racial equity on the job, and a union security agreement or agency shop. Tonight, we hear from bargaining committee member Carly Katz on how workers are standing up to a company owned by right-wing media conglomerate News Corp and how their union is sustaining the longest strike in their shop's history. In other New York labor news, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings start tomorrow for Governor Hochul's nominee for the next chief judge of the state's top court. In the weeks since Hochul announced her nomination of Hector LaSalle to the Court of Appeals, labor unions have joined with the abortion rights movement, socialists in office, and Senate progressives to oppose a judge with an alarming record on labor and abortion rights. Last week, TWU Local 100 President John Samuelson broke with New York labor and refused to denounce LaSalle. Tonight, we'll hear from transit worker John Ferretti on why he won't be following his union leadership and what the LaSalle story can tell us about the power of organized labor in our city. We'll be taking your calls later in the show around 7.45 p.m. We're especially hoping to hear from the union workers out there tonight, so please join our conversation But first, the headlines with Chris Carr. Hello, this is Chris Carr bringing you the headlines today for this Tuesday, January 17th. In local news, a nurses' strike at two New York City hospitals, one in Harlem and one in the Bronx, ended after three days this week after staffing shortages forced the hospitals back to the negotiating table. The nurses won enforceable staffing ratios and more in the tentative agreements. Let's hear from the nurses on the picket line at Mount Sinai Hospital. What do we want? What is that? When do we need it? Now! What do we want? Stop it. When do we need it? Now! What do we want? My name's Emma. I work on a cardiac step-down unit. I'm on strike because the patients in this hospital are not getting the care they need. It's really hard to come into work and to do your best and know that your best is not good enough because your hospital is not giving you the resources you need to take care of your patients adequately. We have over 500 vacancies. That's 500 nurses. We're short, spread throughout the hospital. We're working as a skeleton crew, just giving medications and trying our best to provide care. I remember when our ratios were 1 to 4 on a cardiac unit. I've had as much as 10. One nurse for 10 patients. If you've ever had a family member in a hospital who had to wait 20 minutes, 30 minutes for a nurse, ask that nurse how many patients are they caring for that night. I've come in before and I've had nine nine patients. So imagine just suddenly you're doing the work that two nurses should be doing, right? If I can't get into your room for two hours because I'm trying to get to every patient, that's how you miss strokes. You know, strokes are things that happen pretty commonly on cardiac units, and that requires really quick identification. A typical day after taking care of patients for 12 hours, no lunch, no like bathroom breaks, no water, You are just feeling so exhausted, not like 
physically but also emotionally because you can't show them that you're stressed you have to keep it together and it's so frustrating because we love what we do for us this is a a calling like a passion we love we wouldn't do this if we didn't like it and it's you so you feel so like useless you feel so worthless at times when you try to voice these concerns and they just like brush it off it's opened my eyes to how healthcare is not just about the patients unfortunately it's a business and it's it's a dirty business and money is what talks striking is the most empowering thing you can do and I came out yesterday and I felt empowered I felt proud I, I had a sense of 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 just overwhelming joy to see my colleagues out here risking it all because because we're fighting for something we truly believe in. The energy is su super high, so we're all kind of really excited to be out here. We all know why we're out here. So it's a huge a huge push of solidarity. You know, I just talked about how the units sometimes are in conflict with each other, but this like it proves that we're all here for the same reason. Some of the retired nurses, I remember some of them stepping off of like cabs and being like, "We are retiree nurses and we're here for you guys." That was just so like heartwarming and to see them standing solidarity because they understand like how difficult it is for us and just all the members of the community and people beeping that that really like warms my heart because they they understand that we we play an intricate role in their care when they come to the hospital as citizens and as as workers in this country you know we have unions for a reason and we strike for a reason i don't i guarantee you no one strikes because they're being greedy you strike because you're fighting for something that you feel you deserve From the RPM crew, we congratulate the nurses of the New York State Nurses Association on their victorious strike. You stood up to the bosses and won big, not only for yourselves, but for your patients, for organized labor, and for the whole of the working class. In other news, Mayor Adams released his preliminary city budget, which is filled with austerity measures like more cuts to schools, libraries, and social services. The fight in Albany over the nomination of Hector LaSalle for Chief Judge of the Court Appeals continues, with Governor Hochul standing by our embattled nominee, who faces increasing opposition for his conservative, anti-labor track record. One former Chief Judge insists that LaSalle is legally entitled to a Senate floor vote, while Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins has floated changes to the entire selection process. Meanwhile, political consulting firms, including at least one from out of state, are sending money in support of LaSalle. In newly released footage from last April, an NYPD van drove through a red light and sped on a median for several blocks in rainy conditions before fatally hitting Ronald Anthony Smith and dragging him for 35 feet. Neither officer involved rendered proper medical aid. City retirees and PSC CUNY members rallied against a proposal being considered by the City Council to amend the Administrative Code to push all public sector retirees onto privatized Medicare Advantage healthcare plans. In her State of the State address, Governor Hochul announced a proposal for 800,000 new homes. She also pitched a 3% annual tuition increase for in-state SUNY and CUNY students, and hikes of up to 6% at the state's flagship universities in Albany, Buffalo, Binghamton, and Stony Brook. The city's new, quote, right to counsel for tenants facing eviction is not keeping up with the increased rate of eviction filing, forcing more than 10,000 people to go to housing court without representation. Meanwhile, tenants are struggling against widespread neglect and forced to find unsafe housing solutions. The MTA's East Side Access Project faces another delay. COVID-19 hospitalizations are up statewide, with the XBB15 variant responsible for much of the surge. In election news, 
Amid calls for an ethics investigation into Representative George Santos, a Republican from Nassau County, who won his election last year on the back of a series of egregious lies about his biography, Nassau County Republicans have called for him to resign. So far, Santos has resisted those calls. Three different candidates have already entered the Democratic primary for the new majority Asian American City Council District created in last year's redistricting process. Jacobin published a piece celebrating the recent DSA electoral victories in New York State's races and describes the agenda of the growing group of socialist legislators. So those are the headlines for today on Tuesday, January 17th. I'm Chris Carr. Now back to the studio for tonight's show. Thank you, Chris. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA's Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. We also want to thank our comrades Eric and Susie for bringing us to the picket line in that wonderful segment from Mount Sinai. So let's dig into tonight's show, tonight's edition of Revolutions Per Minute. Let's start with our comrade, John Ferretti. Hi, John. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Amy, thank you so much for having me. And it's always um, a great and refreshing thing to hear the news from a socialist perspective. So I caught a lot of headlines I didn't catch in the every day. So. Absolutely. Yes, that's the that's the RPM difference. And that's the WBAI difference for broadcasting us on 99.5 FM. So listeners just heard in the headlines a little bit about the situation with Hochul's chief judge nominee, Hector LaSalle. But tell us a little bit about it from your perspective. And if you can lay out why so many labor and left groups have joined forces to oppose his confirmation. Well, Justice LaSalle has a long, long history of being anti-labor, um, being anti-women's rights. Um, he's, he's a very conservative hardline judge who's enforced mass incarceration, the carceral state, uh, tough on crime policies, all of that. I mean, anybody who calls themselves any kind of progressive would see this wolf in sheep's clothing from a mile away. And that is very telling about the state of the Democratic Party in New York State and the state of the labor movement in New York City and New York State. Um, you know, basically, Albany's like a mosh pit. It's a cesspool of corruption. It always has been. And Kathy Hochul is nothing but all of Cuomo's corruption without the face of Cuomo. That's all she is. She is, her family is personally corrupt. They took over a billion dollars of the state's budget to go pay off her donors, the owners of the Buffalo Bills, to build a stadium financed by our tax dollars. Nothing but corporate welfare and direct payouts to her husband who runs all the concessions in that stadium. That's a that's a neat little trick uh, to send your family an envelope. huh? But it's not personal. It's not just personal corruption. It's class corruption because. For Kathy Hochul, this is all transactional, just like it is for Donald Trump. It's all about class solidarity, solidarity with the other corrupt wolves who've been bleeding New York working class people dry during this crisis. And, you know, for John Samuelson, by the way, he's the head of the International Union. He's not the local 100 president. He was um, for a while, and then Tony Utano took over, and now Richie Davis is the head of the union. But John Samuelson sits on the International Transport Workers Union, which organizes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of workers nationwide and in Canada, and has done absolutely nothing to organize any mass self-defense under COVID capitalism when 170 true New York City transit workers died just in one union. 170 transit workers died during COVID. That's the highest rate of death anywhere in this country, if not the world, among essential workers. So he has some nerve to talk about how he cares about labor rights, how he's going to be on the front lines of pushing a tough fight on Kathy Hochul or whoever it is to win a just contract for Local 100. He doesn't know the first thing about it because he's a business unionist trader, and he always has been. And the other you know, union leaders like Salento and, you know, the head of the Municipal Labor Council. Where were all of these people when we were dying? 
Where were all of these people when our leaders came out here and told us that we were selfish to want masks, that we would be taking them away from doctors and nurses, and that if you're a healthy person, you don't need a mask? Where were they? When it was time to fight for labor, when it was life and death, they were nowhere to be found. And their words are meaningless without struggle. The thing that makes us a class is our struggle, is the struggle that unites us. As nice nurses showed, that class struggle unionism is the only way we have a future as a class. It's the only way we're going to survive COVID capitalism, crisis capitalism, late stage capitalism, whatever you want to call it. A capitalism that doesn't care if we live or die. Right, right. And you, you just said so much and put forward so much there, John. I, I do want to say I am a huge fan of wolves, the animal, and I think um, they it's doing a disservice to wolves to associate them with Hokel and these others because they're actually very uh, social and collaborative animals who would, yeah, who would I don't share have their any resources. Problem with wolves. I don't have any problem with wolves. We'll just call them bloodsuckers, which is what they are. <laughs> right. Fair enough. So um, we only have a couple more minutes, then I'm going to be um, switching gears, speaking to our other live guest in the studio here tonight. But as a member of uh, TWU, um, in the situation that you're in, where the international president of the union has refused to kind of join in with the labor coalition that's pushing this movement of no on LaSalle. And I think it's important to be clear for our listeners that this labor coalition is not the most radical fringes of New York City labor. It's not new labor. It's not alt labor. It's it's the AFL-CIO, right? It's the iron workers. It's what a lot of people think of as traditional labor in, in New York as a political power. So why do you think that Samuelson didn't join in with that? And what is the alternative for rank and file workers under these conditions? Well, I mean, the reason why Samuelson didn't join in is because he's a corrupt crony of the Cuomo Hoko regime and he doesn't want to piss them off. And he thinks that if he plays ball with them, that they'll play ball with him and give him something he can sell to New York City transit workers. They know they're under a huge amount of pressure right now because we're facing, you know, at some points eleven percent inflation in New York City. Um, you, we've gotten zero hazard pay, even though the MTA has gotten $15 billion in federal funding. And they and the union has done nothing to account where that money is gone. And so to cover up their failures, they think if they play ball with Hochul, they'll, she'll throw them a bone. And they'll get something they can sell their members. But Samuelson has always played this divide and conquer game. He screwed tier six members, giving them a, a, a poverty pension. He's repeatedly attacked new hires with five-year wage progressions. So this is nothing new from him. But the other, but but the other wolves in sheep clothing, in terms of these people crying crocodile tears about this this one nomination. They've played ball all along. They all believe in patent bargaining. They all believe in the dog-eat-dog. Well, if we get, then they don't get. And if they get, then we don't get. And we got to break from that pattern. We got to learn from the nice nurses that the only thing that brings the bosses to their needs is class struggle, solidarity, and a unionism based on members' voices being heard. And members of TWU are not going to be silent in this contract struggle. The MTA is engaging in illegal service cuts that are going to attack working class and poor communities, and we are not going to let them get away with it. The union, if they had a pulse, would have already sued them because it violates federal and state law to cut services without public hearings. And we're going to take them to court, and we're going to unite with other rank and file leaders to be to get the resources and the lawyers that's necessary to bring them to court and bring them to their knees and to stop them. Because as the nice nurses showed, victories matter. Seeing the bosses brought to their knees, it matters. It gives other workers hope. It points in the direction of a future where the working class actually has a say in the way the world works. And that's the hope for the future, is that we stop looking for them to lead and start to drag them behind us, if necessary, in the direction we need to go. Amen. Cheers to that. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, John, and Solidarity. And uh, we will certainly be keeping an eye on those service cuts. Um, the MTA is an issue that affects all New Yorkers, but especially working class New Yorkers. So solidarity to you in, in your struggle. Um, for those of us who are just joining, you're listening to Revolutions per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City. We're broadcasting at 99.5 FM or streaming on your favorite podcast app. 
Today, we're talking about New York labor on the move, from unions joining with a left coalition to reject the Hector LaSalle nomination, to workers on strike throughout the city. And we have one of those workers right here in the studio with us tonight. Welcome, Carly Katz of the HarperCollins Union. Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Carly. Hi, it's so good to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and why you are a union worker and a union supporter? Um, sure. So um, I've been working at HarperCollins for five years, but um, I actually did leave HarperCollins during those five years. I went to work at the Houghton Mifflin Trade Division, which in 2021, HarperCollins purchased um, from Houghton Mifflin. Um, so I was brought back into the HarperCollins fold. Um, but I was on the the bargaining committee the last time I was at HarperCollins Um Prior to that, I had worked at the Strand Bookstore, and prior to that, I was actually in theater, um, where I had a, I really struggled with the labor in theater. It had been my dream job, and I know dream job is kind of the thing we all laugh at now, but um, it had been exactly what I wanted, and I just couldn't keep up with the crazy hours and the terrible bosses, and um, so I ended up... I ended up caring more about labor than I'll care about any job. Wow, that's a word. Um, and it's sad to hear you say a dream job is something that we all kind of laugh at now. Unfortunately, I know only too well what you mean. A lot of dream jobs turn out to be nightmares, and especially those that you go into for reasons of of passion, like the arts. And for a lot of people, publishing fits into that category. So let's chat a little bit more about that throughout tonight's show. But for listeners who may not be familiar um, with the ongoing strike at HarperCollins, can you just give us a little basic background about your demands, why you've been on strike, and how the strike has unfolded so far? Um, yeah. So like I said, I was on the bargaining committee the last time we negotiated the contract, which was in 2018. At that point, we had uh, about 15% dues-paying members. At this point, we have about 85% dues-paying members. I think in, t- in the months leading up to the contract, it was around 60%, and we've really grown our numbers since preparing for this strike. Um so if you have ever worked in an, I think we have an open shop. I'm actually, this is so silly. I don't know the words yet because it's so legalistic. Um, but when you have an open shop like ours, having these dues, these dues paying members really makes quite a difference in your bargaining. And so in 2020, when I was not at HarperCollins, um, after these me- members had gone up, Harper management came to the union and was like, we will raise salaries to $45,000 and uh, that's all you're going to get from us right now. Um, And then they sent out an email blast to the rest of the company saying that we have offered the union $45,000. So we're just waiting to hear back from them before we can pay you $45,000 as the starting salary. Um, This is, it really was a big improvement from 30 $36,000, I think, was the starting salary before that. Um, But it's still not enough to live on in New York City, which is where they want us to live. Um, And in 2020, when they did this, all the other publishers were raising their salaries at the same time. I think they're all at $45,000 except for one, which is at $42,000. So it's been a big increase um, from everybody. This was, I believe, in response to... um, there was a day of solidarity in publishing um, right around the George Floyd protests where we were like, we have to look at diversity in our own industry. And I think most people did not work that day. Um, and so that was a big wake up call to the, to all of these companies like, hey, these workers are passionate and organized. But that wasn't in response to any bargaining. They're still using that as leverage against us. Like, hey, we already raised you $45,000 without you even asking. Um, the other part of this is when they raised those salaries, I, like I said, I had been working in publishing for two or three years at that point. And so that my salary as an experiencing publishing worker was $45,000. So when everybody else has got bumped up to $45,000, it was like my years of experience didn't count. And that is the case for so many people I work with. I'm using myself as an example, but it's, it's very common. So Everybody got a little bit of a salary bump, but suddenly, like, now people with, like, three years of experience are in a much better position than I am in. 
um, because they when they switched companies, they were switching from that $45,000 starting salary. Um, I don't know if that made sense. So that's one big thing. Diversity is a big issue when you're getting these salaries. Obviously, this country has been redlined. Um, and that made it, that's made it harder for people of color to acquire wealth, own property. It makes it them harder to work in these quote passion jobs, um, where like where you have to have financial support often from family. Um, so when we talk about raising these salaries, it's really giving more space for people of color in the industry. You know, we're negotiating for specific. Um, policies that help diversity in the company but like salary is enormous for everybody but especially I I mean like I'm going to use again myself an example but like I don't have student debt and it's hard for me to live in this city I don't know what that is like and I am sorry for the people going through that and it is stupid and frustrating and I'm sure there are enormously talented people that this industry is missing out on which is bad for authors um, and bad for the world as a whole. If we're not seeing voices of people represented in the books we read, where are we seeing them? It's just in our communities. And I don't know. I think the world's a bigger place. Um, obviously, I mentioned the closed shop, open shop stuff earlier. We're hoping to close our shop. It sustains the power of the union. Right. Right. And um, something, so HarperCollins is the only major publishing house in the United States that's union. Of course, other publishing houses internationally have unions and smaller publishing houses here in the United States sometimes have unions. But when you're looking at the very few number of firms that control the bulk of the book publishing industry here in the United States, HarperCollins is the only one that has a union. And just a little bit of, of history, we can dig into this later in the show, but just a little bit of history. Uh, my understanding is that um, the union was uh, the first target when um, HarperCollins was purchased by um, big bad uh, Rupert Murdoch back in the 80s as part of his media uh, consolidation scheme. So what's going on at HarperCollins really speaks to some very big issues in United States society, not only the ones that you mentioned, redlining, systemic racism, um, you know, inflation here in New York City and across the United States, but also trends in media toward this right-wing push and further corporate consolidation. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. Um, I'm sorry, I cannot confirm or deny your thing about uh, what happened with Rupert Murdoch and then when he purchased the company. Um, but certainly, it's been a big, big mess. Right. Yeah, and it was in, it was in the 1980s, right? So this was a time of uh, a nationwide assault on on unions and and workers' rights. So he was right in step with what was going on throughout the rest of the country. Uh, you're listening to Revolutions for Minute live on WBAI. I'm here with Carly Katz, who has been out on strike with her union since early November, fighting for better wages and working conditions in New York City publishing. We're going to get back to Carly in just a second, and we will be taking your calls here in the studio in about 15 minutes. Um, but first, it's the time of the show where I ask you to join with us by donating to WBAI to keep progressive community radio on the air. You heard our station engineer, Reggie, at the top of the show, and you've heard throughout the weekend programming here on WBAI in the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. One thing that many people, you almost certainly know, you're a WBAI listener, but many people out there in wider society don't know about MLK is that he was a supporter of unions. And his last works on this earth were supporting what we now would call essential workers, sanitation workers in Memphis who were on strike. If you agree that all labor has dignity, please support the station that brings you the voices of real working people in New York City and call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or go to WBAI.org. Like Reggie said, uh, WBAI needs listeners' funds to keep the lights on, to keep our station engineers paid, health insurance, rent, all of the costs that go along with operating a major radio station in New York City here on 99.5 FM. 
it's not free. Um, I'm a volunteer, but uh, I'm happy to give my labor in support of this station. I hope you have maybe a couple dollars to share with the station tonight in honor of all the volunteers who are giving to this station um, and making programming um, for you to enjoy throughout the week. We have here a guest um, who works at uh, HarperCollins, which is owned by News Corp, which also owns Fox News and a bunch of other media and news um, outlets. And uh, that's the sad state of media in this country. There's just a few people who have a lot of power. What WBAI is doing and what we on Revolutions Per Minute are attempting to do is to present a challenge to that to bring you news analysis and organizing experience from people who have lived it, who for whom this is not abstract, who are really putting themselves, their jobs, their bodies on the line to better the conditions for themselves and for the working class as a whole. So I think that's pretty cool. If you agree with me, you've probably got a phone nearby. Just pick it up, call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Maybe you're right by your, uh, your phone, your tablet, your laptop. Type in WBAI.org. You'll see a page right on there to give a couple dollars tonight or even better if you can become a BAI buddy. Give a small monthly donation. You don't even have to think about it. It's coming out of your checking account, going to WBAI, keeping this great radio station on the air. So that's 212-209-2950 or WBAI.org. Uh, returning to my live guest tonight, um, Carly, so let's talk a little bit about why this is an important story. So most labor stories go beyond the four walls of the work site, right? We heard from the New York City nurses who are striking their working conditions are patients' health conditions. We heard from John Ferretti at the top of the show. He's a MTA conductor, so his working conditions are our commuting conditions, right? So tell me a little bit about what that means for somebody who works at a book publisher and why people should be following and caring about this story. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, like I said, um, one of the big things with publishing is is uh, we want to be we want our staff to be good representatives of people who can work with our authors, right? It's all too common for authors of color to have to work with white editors because this industry underpays um, and gatekeeps. Um, so one of the things we want to do is be able to better serve our authors, and that is better serving the world as a whole. Um, you know, if we want our books to be as broad and diverse, we have to serve as many broad and diverse and interesting. Like, the, we want to make sure the best stories get told. And the only way to make sure the best stories get told. And, you know, stories are a little bit of a lifeline for us all, right? Like, I certainly, I had a hard time in high school. I read books to get through it. And I think that's a pretty silly example in many ways because it's just a small thing. But, like, the small things are what give us joy and pleasure in our life. And like everybody is as deserving of that joy and pleasure. And like, for me, it is such a pleasure to work on these books. Um, and I want everybody who has that passion to be able to do it. And sometimes I think, why am I in this industry? There are so many people who would be better at this than I am. And it's just sheer luck that got me there. And I don't like that. And, and books are something that are so elemental and so foundational to most people's lives. I mean, uh, thinking not only about um, like the media that we consume, but also what we experience in school and also keeping in mind that HarperCollins is quite a large publisher. So they're also publishing cookbooks, instructional books, all, all types of things in addition to, to literary fiction and the types of things that you might think of when you think of a publishing house. So it's pretty incredible that you've now been out on strike. Tomorrow will be your, your 50th. That's five zero days out on strike since early November. Can you tell me a little bit about what that's been like um, for workers? How do you keep the energy up? And what has been the response from management to your strike so far? Um, yeah, 50 days is a long time. And I think we it ebbs and flows in our energy levels. I think that like for a while we were like, okay, well, we'll just make it till Thanksgiving. We'll just make it till Christmas. And then after New Year's was like a hard time for us. And now we're kind of back in the rhythm of things. 
I think one of the wonderful things about striking is like we've been able to do a lot of our work remotely, which is such a gift. Um, but it means we haven't gotten to know our colleagues. So striking, we've really gotten to know our colleagues. And there are still plenty of people who are striking remotely, but I'm getting to see how talented they are, how hard they, how like creative they are. So many people are like our remote strikers are managing our Twitter, our Instagram, they're reaching out to authors. I'm just getting to see how talented and wonderful everybody is. And I think a lot of us feel that way. We do like fun things. We have trivia online and we have go out for drinks in person but it's really it's really been about building community as we go on this strike and I think we're really fortunate to have each other but um you know when the strike eventually ends I'll be really sad to lose this community um so that's you know a great thing I'm sorry you asked me other questions I forgot what they were oh don't worry like you said you've been out on strike for a long time um I'm curious how how management's responding to the strike and and how the strike is affecting um, the workplace since it's now been quite a long time. And as you say, through the holidays that you've been out. Yeah. So we don't really know what's going on in the inside. Um, A little bit of like, it's really hard. Like it's really depressing. We're overworked. It's um, too much. We really wish you guys were back Um, from like our colleagues and middle management, but upper management has not reached out to us. They're, we're hearing rumors that they're saying they have, um, and they have not. So that's pretty frustrating. Um, they have definitely not reached out to us, or if they have, it's happened in the last 40 minutes since I checked my email. Um, and we think that their strategy is denial, as though we'll cease to exist if they can uh, treat us like we don't exist. But we know we exist. Our colleagues on the inside know we exist. And our understanding is like, it is affecting authors. They're not getting copy edited. They're not getting the publicity they need or the marketing they need. And titles are moving. You know, the work is not getting done. And one wonderful thing, we've had a lot of support from agents and authors who have, who are not submitting to HarperCollins while we we're on strike, which unfortunately doesn't quite affect the company immediately. It'll take a few months of like, oh, wait, why don't we have any titles for spring 24? But it's happening. It's real. (laughs) Absolutely. I've been observing that. It sounds like, you know, since since this is the only unionized publishing house in in New York City, there's a lot of attention, a lot of eyes on you guys and your struggle. And I think a lot of people wanting to support you. So I'm really happy to hear that all the other types of this, the workers and the other places in the publishing ecosystem are also choosing to stand in solidarity with you and essentially not cross your picket line, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, we're really lucky. We're really lucky to have so much support. And I think it's because, unfortunately, everybody knows how the these companies will say, take your passion and turn it into their profits. Well said. So we are coming toward the end of our show. So I'll go ahead and let our listeners know this is a great time to call in. Um, Maybe you've been on strike. You've got a message of support for Carly and her comrades in the HarperCollins Union. Uh, Maybe you went out to the New York City nurses strike and showed some solidarity with them. Maybe you are a nurse. Maybe you are a transit worker. Maybe you are a publishing worker. Maybe you like books and you want them to be produced by people who are working in, in fair working conditions. We'd love to hear your questions or comments. Please give us a call. The number here in the studio is 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212-209-2877. Give us a call and let us know what's on your mind after listening to our show. Um, Carly, as we wait for any calls to come in, I'm curious um, if you can, you know, without a crystal ball, it's hard to to forecast the future, um, but what do you think is going to happen with this strike? How does... How is the union going to get this resolved? Do you have anything coming up, any escalations, anything that the public can do to support you? Um, on day 50 of the strike, you're standing strong, but it's also really hard. So so how is this all going to play out in the next weeks and months? Uh, so tomorrow, please come out to our rally at uh, 1 o'clock or 1230 Um it starts at one o'clock, gather at 1230 at um, News Court headquarters. It's our first time taking it to News Court. Our office is in the financial district, but News Court is, I believe, at a uh, 100, 1,121 um, 
Avenue of the Americas, if you can show physical support that way. We're also, um, follow us at Twitter and Instagram at, at HCPU at HCP Union, um, and you can donate um, with a link tree there. Donating to the strike fund, right? Yes, we love having our bills paid. So um, we are, yes, we do. And it, it gets tough um, out on the, the picket line. So folks, this is Revolutions Per Minute. Um, our phone lines are open. The number is 212-209-2877. You can give us a call and speak to myself and Carly about uh, tonight's theme, New York City Labor on the Move. We heard from a transit worker. We heard from striking nurses. Now we're hearing from a worker at HarperCollins who's been out on strike since since early November. So Carly, I'm curious if you have any response to what we heard at the beginning of the show, either from the New York nurses or from John Ferretti of the transit workers about other labor stories that have been going on um, in New York City. I know you've had a full plate, a lot on your, a lot um, on your to-do list, but what do you see happening kind of in the, in the larger world and how do you interact with that? Oh man, it is so exciting how many other people are going on strike and how beautifully um, they're winning their causes. We were um, right by the Uber strike a few weeks ago. We're so excited that the nurses won their strike. Um, so in those three days, um, we were really disappointed in November, December. We talked about the railway, how the railway strike played out. Uh, those workers deserved so much more than this government did for them. It really failed, really failed those people. Um, but yeah, we love hearing about the victories and we stand in solidarity with those who are struggling to fight. We know it's hard. It was, um, you know, I love how much optimism we see every time there's a strike that wins. And I just, I think no matter what, the important thing is to always believe that we will win. Um, and it's nice to see that people do win. Right. I can imagine. Uh, it, it's, it's, the story of labor is not always a victorious one. We, we lose a lot and we have lost a lot in the last 30 or 40 years. And this kind of new movement that we're seeing in the last, say, five, eight, 10 years is really, really exciting, but we still have a long way to go in terms of reversing the decline of the labor movement and winning real gains for working people against really enormous um, opposition. So um, as we're waiting for, for anybody out there in WBAI world who might be listening live, who might have a comment or question to give us a call at 212-209-2877, can you tell me a little bit, Carly, about sort of for those who might not know, the the culture of, of New York City publishing. And do you find that there's a lot of support for unions in New York City publishing? Or is it kind of a, a harder road, a harder sell for workers who, you know, aren't driving trains or nursing patients? They might consider themselves to be more white collar workers. So so how does unionism go over in, in your industry? Yeah, and I think that like one thing that's notable is like because of this whatever white collar background um, that we're talking about um, is that like people don't like to think of themselves as needing unions. I think that's something that some people struggle with. Um, and I think that there's a culture of almost like abuse because like once people reach a higher place, they pull up the ladder. And so people are like, if only I can reach that higher place, I I can do, I can have the power. Um, there was a tweet early on that revealed that an exec had said, you know, if they could just stay in the industry 10 years, they then like, it would really pay off for them. And it's like, well, there's a reason people can't stay in the industry for 10 years. And it's not because they're worse people than you, right? It's not because they're even worse at their jobs. It might just be, you know, $45,000 doesn't support the family you have to support. And 10 years, that's a long time. I mean, I just said that, but like, for example, and I'm going to say this publicly because I never hear it said, I want to have a kid. 
I'm, I've been in this industry five years, 10 years will take me, you know, to a place where it's going to be harder for me to have a kid. And I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's right. And I'm ready to be a parent now, or maybe in six months. <laughs> right. I, I, you make such a good point there in terms of um, the, there's a difference between being able to live and being able to thrive. And I think what workers like HarperCollins Union, who may not be, say, the most immiserated workers on the planet, you're not the most low-wage workers in, in New York City, but you're not making enough to really live a fulfilling and happy and comfortable life where you can have choices available to you about things like becoming a parent, about things like um, supporting um, another creative passion that you might have about um, being able to just go to work and come home without constantly worrying about bills, health insurance, other things like that. So, you know, and it's interesting to hear you speak about um, uh, some of these issues because I work in a grocery store, actually. I, I don't work in, a, in an office. I work in a grocery store. And I hear people say some of the exact same things of, you know, I've made it work this long and I figured out how to make my way at this job. And that's why I don't need a union and you don't need it either. So it makes me kind of wonder if that's less specific to any one industry or job and more just about kind of anti-union mindset in this country and, and what we're up against in terms of people who are kind of trying to advance a, pol a politics of collective action and collective solidarity. You're listening to Revolutions for Minute. We're live in the studio with Carly Katz from HarperCollins Union. We do have a couple more minutes in the show. If anybody wants to sneak in one last call, it's 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 to call us here in the studio, leave a comment, question, or simply just a message of support for Carly and the workers on strike at HarperCollins. Carly, um, has there been anything that's been surprising to you about your experience as a union organizer on the bargaining committee and now as uh, participating in a strike? Anything that was unexpected going into it? Um, I guess like, you know, you don't really think about how much you're going to love everybody you're doing it with. Um, or maybe you do, but I certainly didn't expect. And like, I've been in conflict with all of these people. I mean, not everybody, but <laughs> if I've been close to somebody, I've probably been in conflict with them at some point. Um, but we all know that like, we are in solidarity with each other. Um, and that is the most important thing. Like we are fighting. We know that like we're not the enemy that News Corp is. And it keeps us together. And I, yeah, I guess I would just say how profoundly grateful I am for everybody on strike with me and all the people who can't go on strike but have donated to the strike fund. They're immensely wonderful people. And like, I trust that even if in some way I were to personally fail, they would give me space to grow if that makes any sense oh absolutely it does and it it resonates with my own experience you know I think one thing that um organizers often hear I don't know if this has been your experience as well but one thing I've heard as an organizer is why are you trying to destroy this company or why are you trying to destroy this job or why can't you just be grateful for what you have um, I like my job why can't you you know and it's like I I do like my job. I do like my coworkers. That, that's why I'm here. Um, I'm not trying to destroy it. I'm, I'm out to make it better. So uh, I think that once, once you see things in that way, um, collective action and organizing in solidarity takes on this really profound kind of interpersonal tinge where you realize how deeply you are connected to the other people at your job and how much easier it is as well to take a risk when you have you know, a hundred other people at your back um, doing the same risk along with you. Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, one thing that like really makes everything kind of like frustrating and hard and wonderful is like, we all know that we're just kind of doing this so we can afford to get drinks at the end of the day with each other. Like right now we talk about bread and roses and Everybody, when I ask them what, like, the money will, will win from the strike is, it's 
I won't have to freak out if I go out for drinks. And what better way is there to organize than going out for drinks? <laughs> um, and isn't that so frustrating? Right. Yeah. And, and don't you deserve to have nice things in your life, too, and not have to count every penny and, and worry about everything? So I want to thank you again so much for coming to speak with us on tonight's show. Um, with the last couple of minutes of our show tonight, I'd love to give you a chance for any final words, any thoughts that you might have message to the listening public, and also remind them um, how they can follow your work and support it as well. Uh, please, please uh, follow us at Twitter and Instagram at HCP Union. That is HCP Union. Um, and donate to our strike fund if you have the funds to do it. And if you can't, just uh, leave an at and say how much you're supporting us um, emotionally. We might have some asks going out in our Instagram. Um, over on Monday, we were trying to put messages on Harper's Instagrams because they too were trying to virtue signal about Martin Luther King. Um, and um, other than that, please come to our rally tomorrow at 1121 uh, Avenue of the Americas. Uh, we have special guest speaker Chris Malls there, and we would love to see your faces too. Um, yeah, come out and find us. Yeah, come out and uh, rally in front of News Corp. What, what could be more more fun than that? Well, thanks again, Carly. It was wonderful to have you. Uh, thanks to our listening audience. This will be the end of tonight's edition of Revolutions for Minute. But don't forget to tune in next week, uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. We're going to be speaking to organizers of Drag Queen Story Hour defenses. So it's going to be a wonderful show. We're really hoping that you'll join us for that. But for tonight, we'll say goodbye, solidarity forever. You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City. This is 99.5 FM. And to connect with us, Revolutions Per Minute, after the show, or to get more information about any of our guests, anything they shared on tonight's show, please send us an email, revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us in our past episodes on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. I'm Amy Wilson. Pleasure being with you tonight. We'll see you next week.